You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, Marketing Director for Studio 420. Today we're on the floor of the MJ Unpacked show in New York City with Jeffrey Hoffman. He is a New York lawyer, and I'm pretty sure he's the most qualified expert on the rules and regulations surrounding cannabis legalization in New York. Jeffrey's legal practice focuses on clients in the cannabis industry, and he has a particular interest in social equity license applicants. He also assists those convicted of cannabis offenses in getting convictions expunged from their record. Let's meet Jeffrey Hoffman. So welcome, Jeffrey Hoffman. <laughs> Thanks for meeting me here at uh, MJ Unpack. I really appreciate um, joining me. My pleasure. Um, so I really um, enjoy the show that you've been having on uh, LinkedIn, Ask Me Anything, uh, about legalization in New York. So I encourage our listeners to, uh, to check that out on LinkedIn and uh, follow you because it's been really informative. And I really, really like it because... Um, it's just interesting to hear what everyone's concerns are, you know, what they're trying to learn, how they're trying to get into the state. So I've, I, I'm very interested in joining your uh, LinkedIn. So I'm a very big believer, you know, usually attorneys are thought of as being in this ivory tower and they have this information that the rest of the public doesn't have. And very often the only way the public gets that information is by hiring an attorney. So yes, if you're going to really get into business and do serious things, you absolutely have to have an attorney. Mm-hmm. But as far as sharing information with the public, that it's very clear what it is, like the legislature passed a law, and this is what the law says. You can have this kind of cannabis license, but not that kind of cannabis license. This is something people can go and look up, but it's just very useful for the layman to be able to come someplace where they can ask these questions and have very simple answers presented to what are typically very simple questions, right? Right, that you don't have to pay millions of dollars to get. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> well, that's a great service for us, that's for sure. Um, so, okay, so we're going to do kind of a hit list of, of your top questions um, from your show. Uh, so number one is how much, how much cannabis is it legal to possess in New York and where can you smoke it? Sure. So starting with the possession first, it's legal for you to basically possess anywhere you want, three ounces of flour and up to 24 grams of concentrate. These would be other uh, types of cannabis, be it shatter or uh, Mm. distillate, any other type of concentrated cannabis. Now, it does appear that within your own home, you will be able to have up to about five pounds. Um, There's going to be a home grow regulation in New York. Um, They already do have the regulations available about medical cannabis, but there will eventually be one for adult use cannabis. And so the idea there is pretty much uh, each individual in the household is going to be able to have six plants, so usually three uh, in a growth phase and three flowering, 12 total. So even if you had four people, you'd only be able to have 12 plants. But you could imagine if you're allowed to have 12 plants, eventually you could end up with quite a bit of cannabis in, in your own home. Um, So there is going to certainly be this higher limit within your own home. As far as consuming and particularly smoking, New York has done something that is fairly unique. You've not really seen this in other states. Now, certainly people in other states are smoking cannabis in public, but technically it is against the law. So if you think about tourism, particularly international tourists, 
the last thing an international tourist wants to do is something that is against the law, even if it's sort of being tolerated and, and not really enforced, although people certainly are getting tickets in other states for smoking cannabis in public. So here in New York, it is legal to smoke cannabis anywhere it would be legal to smoke a cigarette. And that is unique here in the United States right now, and it's one of the reasons why I believe that eventually New York will be the cannabis tourism capital of the world, because they are going to have such a liberal paradigm for consumption and a lot of the other things um, that they are doing. So, for example, I live in an apartment in New York City, and in my apartment building, you are allowed to smoke cigarettes in your individual apartment. That means in my individual apartment, I can also smoke cannabis. Now, there are many apartments where smoking is not allowed. Many co-ops have a rule against smoking. Many of the apartments that people own here in New York are co-ops. So in those buildings, you would not be able to, to smoke in your apartment. But the, the overriding rule is anywhere that you'd be allowed to smoke a cigarette, you would be allowed to smoke cannabis. So in other states, I think I know in Colorado, you cannot smoke on the street. Um, so in most states, you can't smoke on the streets? Correct, generally. And are those states also have the same rules as we can only smoke, say, outside the buildings, sidewalks, you know, you can't smoke in office buildings. As far as cigarettes. Cigarettes, yeah. yeah. So I'm not an expert on the smoking laws in every state, but just generally no state to date other than New York has as liberal a rule about this. Again, in New York, it's anywhere you can smoke a cigarette, you can smoke cannabis. Um, generally, in the other states, it's within a private home, uh, an event that is private. I believe there's a hotel in Denver that just recently got it, or is about to get a consumptive license, or just got it. 420 um, Hotel. Correct. It's one of our clients, actually. There you go. So I'm, I'm promoting one of your clients. That's, That's great. Right. So he, he should, uh, yeah. he should yeah. compensate you for that. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, slowly but surely, states are going to be backfilling that. So, for example, it's a little bit of a sidetrack, but I think a good place for us to go. Uh -huh. New York is going to have on-site consumption out of the gate, right? So on-site consumption, basically going to a what people would be familiar in Amsterdam as a coffee shop. Um, I think here in the United States, we'll probably call them cannabis bars or something like that. I don't think we'll use the term coffee shop because right. people think of that as Starbucks. But right. uh, we're going to have on-site consumption out of the gate. Most of the other states that have that are backfilling. So it wasn't part of their original legalization, and now they're trying to bring it uh, on board. So in California, which is the largest, most robust cannabis market right now, there are very few on-site consumption places. There's a few in uh, LA, I believe Woody Harrelson just opened one. That's right. A uh, few in San Francisco. Um, Las Vegas is certainly talking about it, but it seems to be taking them forever. Mm -hmm. That would be Nevada, but Las Vegas is where particularly is interested about it. But here in New York, it's part of the law. It's one of the nine standard licenses, or 10 if you want to count the, the testing license, which is um, not really counted in the normal nine. But here in New York, that's out of the gate. And the creativity that you see here in New York, as far as nightlife, as far as entertainment, uh, I would think only Las Vegas, really, in the United States could even rival New York. And I think there are things that New York does better than Vegas. Yeah, yeah. And the creativity you're going to see in this marketplace, I think downstate here in New York, it's going to be... Um, entertainment venues, venues that you would normally have thought of as being bars that are going to be cannabis. So, um, you know, today I'm wearing my Ajax Amsterdam soccer jersey. Normally, if I want to go see Ajax play a match, I go to an alcohol bar. 
but I assure you as soon as Consumption Lounge is oh. open in New York, I'm gonna go smoke a blunt and watch IAX rather than have a beer and watch IAX. Right, a sports cannabis bar in a way. So there's gonna be all kinds of unbelievable oh. creativity in the nightlife and in the entertainment space mm. here in New York where cannabis is gonna be a piece of that puzzle. So, are, well, I mean, alcohol is not allowed to be served in the consumption lounge. That is correct. You oh. cannot have alcohol and cannabis in the same facility. Will they allow cannabis drinks? Uh, so I don't see why you would not allow a cannabis beverage, right? So this is not an alcoholic beverage, right? We're right. talking about a, uh, a seltzer or a, a beverage that may look like a beer, mm -hmm. but there's no alcohol in it. It is purely THC-based, which is the active ingredient there, and there's no reason that that, that would not be allowed. Yeah. Again, yeah. if it's a if it's a cannabis product that it's made its way through the value chain, it was cannabis that was grown in New York, processed in New York into a beverage, through a distributor in New York to a retailer, uh, retail dispensary, or to an on-site consumption lounge. There's absolutely no reason why that wouldn't be allowed. Okay. And in fact, one of the things they're talking about, there was uh, a few articles about this a couple of weeks ago, is what they want to do about food, mm -hmm. right? So I think you would absolutely be able to serve non-cannabis, non-THC-infused food in a cannabis lounge. So you'd mm -hmm. be able to smoke a, a blunt and have a steak, mm -hmm. right? I don't think there'd be any problem with that necessarily. We'll see. Mm -hmm. The CCB mm -hmm. may have different ideas, but so far it doesn't look like there's anything that would prohibit that. What they've been talking about is, are we going to allow cooking with cannabis? So you would be able to, you know, perhaps a restaurant would get, and it's going to be interesting what the restaurant would have to do, because when you're putting the cannabis into the food, are you arguably processing it as well as distributing it? I mean, as well as uh, dispensing it. So we're going to have to see what the CCB does. They may need to come up with a new kind of license, which they've already done, right? The conditional cultivation license, the conditional processing license, and the conditional retail dispensary license. Those are all new since uh, MRDA, the, the law that uh, legalized cannabis, was originally passed. So they could certainly come out with a new regulation and say we're going to have a restaurant license. Right. I wonder how that's going to go, like when you get a, a license for a restaurant and the permits and all that, can that be combined with these consumption licenses? And even at this show, I'm seeing, you know, some infused uh, barbecue sauce, infused ice cream. You know, will yep. this be allowed to be sold there? Can you merge those two licenses? And also another one is a big trending event is the uh, pairing, the cannabis and, well, cannabis and food and pairing. Uh, so can you have events like that as long as there's no alcohol? So there's a lot. It's going to be interesting. So, so again, there was an article about this, a couple articles just recently, and the OCM, Office of Canna Cannabis Management, and the CCB, Cannabis Control Board, they are, this is a discussion. It's not like you and I are hallucinating this and maybe they <laughs> ought to do it. They are actively having discussions. Are we going to let there to be cannabis-infused foods served in restaurants, and what kind of license would that look like, and something mm. very soon to see where they where they end up on that. Consumption lounge, that sounds interesting. Um, so uh, question number two from your uh, show, what are the different kinds of licenses that will be available for cannabis businesses in New York? Right, so there's a whole host of them. Okay. There are three that are now conditional licenses, which are new. And there are nine, perhaps plus one, if you want to consider the testing one, um, one of them, that were standard licenses in the law. So looking at the conditional ones first, we have the conditional cultivator and conditional processor. This was done as a law via the legislature, which means we didn't have to do anything else. Once the legislature passes it, 
the CCB comes up with a couple of regulations real quick and they put up the application. And in fact, I believe we have on the order of 88 or more licensed conditional cultivators in the state right now. They have seed in the ground. These are people that were previously growing hemp in the state's hemp program. This is the very first crop of adult use cannabis in the state, seed in the ground right now. When that law was passed, they also included a conditional processor license. They have not opened up the application process for that one yet. My guess is that they're gonna do that soon. pretty soon here. I would hope so. It's just, they're gonna have a lot of applications coming. I don't know why, even if you're not gonna be able to process because there's no product yet, why wouldn't you just get the license done so you don't have to do that work on top of all the other license work that you're gonna have to do. So right. it's not up to me to decide that, but maybe they'll start doing that soon. And we need product when the dispensary's open. A hundred percent. I mean, the good news is at least from the cultivators, you'll have flour. Mm -hmm. I would love it that there would also be shatter and vapes and all this other stuff, but at least we're, we've got seed in the ground to get us flour. Mm -hmm. There's also this conditional um, retail dispensary license. That was created as a proposed regulation by the Cannabis Control Board. What that means is it can't just start right away like the other two conditional licenses could. When it's a proposed regulation, we have to go through a regulatory review process in New York. So there's an initial 60-day process where everyone in the state can comment about it. That's gonna end here at the end of May. And then the Cannabis Control Board gets to decide, do we wanna take any of these changes or do we want to just let the regulation go as it is? If they just let it go as it is, they could then very quickly get the application up and running like they did for the cultivation license. If they want to make changes, then they will have to have an additional time, which is called a um, revised rulemaking period, which will put us somewhere in late summer probably. Yes, banging the gong. Banging the gong here at yes. MJ Unpacked. Um, which will put us into late summer for those licenses. The goal that the CCB and the OCM have for those licenses is to get them up and running by the end of the year. So you get the seed in the ground now, the grow some plants, maybe the processors will be on board to process some of it, and then those will be the initial products for those conditional cultivators. Okay. Excuse me, conditional retail dispensary guys. Okay. For the traditional licenses, there are six which I kind of put into the tier that most people think about. And I refer to them as the upstream tier and the downstream tier. The upstream tier is cultivation, processing, and dispensing. Again, people that are growing it, the cultivators, people that are processing it, turning it into shatter. You get that I'm a big fan of shatter, so I'm gonna keep saying that. Um, and then the distributors, the people that get it from the processors to the retail stores or the on-site consumption lounges. Now, within that upstream tier, those three are able to get their license, so a cultivator can get the cultivation license, and then an additional license in each of the downstream tiers for their own product. Mm. So a cultivator could also process and distribute their own product. Mm. A processor could also distribute their own product, but they cannot play at all in what we call the downstream tier. And the downstream tier is the retail tier. That is your on-site consumption lounges, which we mentioned before, your retail dispensaries, which everybody's familiar with all across the country, and your delivery folks. Mm -hmm. so, so those are the um, kind of your upstream and your downstream tier, which are six of the nine, what I would call your licenses that are people are more familiar with. And then the other three licenses that you're looking at, um, one of which is a nursery license. 
and the nursery license is where you'll be able to go to get clones or seeds or all the types of things you would normally figure you would get at a normal plant nursery. It's just going to be a cannabis nursery. I think very often you will see the nursery license be associated with the cultivators, and the cultivators will be able to get a nursery license. This is why they've been included in those other tiers. Meaning greenhouse? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so just... You want seeds, uh -huh. you want uh, clones oh. to grow. Uh, you know, I, I, oh, a nursery I, I license. A, uh, yes, correct. Completely separate license, right? So think of a plant nursery where you Seed go. Seed breeders. All of it, right? It's, it's where you will go. So it's going to be legal for me to grow in my apartment. And I'm going to have a grow in one of the, in the closet of my apartment. And you need to go and to a nursery. where am I going to get my clone? Where am I going to get the best... Uh, soil for it, or if I want to go hydroponic, where am I going to get the hydroponic here? So I could imagine here in New York City, we have showrooms for everything. You're going to have guys getting a nursery showroom where they show you here's the latest and greatest growing technology. You want to buy a, a, a clone for Orange Kush, here you go, and, and off you go, right? Wow. So that's one of the other three. Um, additionally, you then have the co-op license, and this is one that people are not really talking about a lot. I have a really good vision for this, and I've been talking with some nonprofits up in the Bronx and, and, and some of these organizations that are thinking, how can we bring the community into this? How can we go into communities that have been devastated by cannabis, uh, bring the community be, to become familiar with it, perhaps get people in the community that are going to get jobs from it, not even necessarily licenses. The, the, the uh, dispensaries are going to need folks that work there. The cultivators are going to need uh, folks that work there. The distributors are going to need folks that work there. How can we create environments around cannabis for job training, for education, um, for all of these things? So the co-op license is a very interesting one where I think you could see, for example, a nonprofit in the Bronx, find a location, make it a community space, become a co-op licensee where you can do pretty much everything but the retail tier to end-use customers, and what a phenomenal, fertile training ground that would be for the community to learn about the planet, to learn about all of the licenses and what is the work stream for all of these licenses. And if you want to get a job in one of these work streams, how do you learn about that? Maybe they certify people. And so if you've gone through this program at this co-op, you can be certified and said this individual is ready to go into a processor and operate machinery at a processor if they have that um, within the co-op. It's like a workforce training. The whole thing. The whole right? thing, Absolutely. Yeah. So I just, I, I think that there is a real place mm. for that license in the community. Mm. And I would really encourage nonprofits all around the state to think about that, to go to your grant makers and say, this is going to be an incredibly uh, productive job market, right? There are going to be thousands and tens of thousands, if not more, cannabis jobs in this state, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even six figures. Who yeah, knows, right? I know. And if you look at ancillary businesses, I'm just talking licensed businesses. If you've got all the ancillary businesses, certainly going to be six figures uh, of jobs. What a phenomenal way to go into communities yeah. where people don't have opportunity and where people have been laid off and train up to new skills for this new industry that's coming and you're ready to go right into the industry. Right. I mean, I haven't been hearing about anything starting up like that so let's let me even give you the extra point okay in the law the law very specifically says and we're talking about murder here the law the legislature passed it legalized cannabis they have to stand up incubators across the state and the incubators are to encourage social and economic equity applicants to apply and then if they get licenses to give them all of the resources training about 
How do you do a balance sheet? How do you do a P&L? How do you hire people? How do you fire people? Yeah. How do you do these employment types of things? Right. How do you run a retail storefront? So all, of, what kind of insurance do I need? How do I meet the regulation? So I think there is a fertile ground for these kinds of things. This is where I wanted to end it. The nonprofits that already exist, and I use the Bronx because I just think it's a phenomenal uh, place. I've actually been talking with several nonprofits up there about this type of concept, perhaps mm -hmm. not this deep, where they could take that next step and, hey, state of New York, you have to do these incubators. We'll be your incubator. Right. And we're going to get a co-op license. So not only are we incubated for the training, we're actually going to have the thing here on site. So it's it's all of that wrapped up into one. Right, right, right. Because incubators are not necessarily, I think, for sending someone off and, you know, to, to, to go start their business because there still needs to be a lot of skills or hand-holding or mentoring after that because that just gives you the fundamentals. But it's a great way to introduce people to the whole, you know, A to Z, nuts and bolts of the business, whatever you're, you're trying to So it's to not learn. just an incubator. You actually have the business on site because you're a yeah. co-op. What a win, right? What a win. The state says we have to do incubators. Right. Right? You've got but this co-op you co license, which lets you do everything but sell to retail customers, which is, I've got other people that can train the bud tenders and this, and we should talk about that but a little bit. But as long as you point. don't sell. As Correct. long as you don't sell, so. And, but and that would be that would be the point of the non. What does the nonprofit care about selling? Its point is the workforce development and bringing the community in right. and exposing the community to right. what's happening in the space. Right, right. Wow. Oh, that's a really good concept. Okay, more on that. <laughs> um, so, uh, one question on the uh, delivery uh, license: Are they allowed to um, have their have their own warehouse? Um, so this is a very, so the way I phrase it is their own inventory. Yes, their own inventory. Correct. And it has to be, I really hope it's happening because okay. because it's it's not possible to have a business without it. You can't be a delivery service for a dispensary taking $50 worth of product and making 10% commission or whatever you get on it. It's not working. I know delivery services in Colorado have the same uh form structure and they, they're not surviving right so this is a big issue for me me too okay? me too so on the record i have an email from the ocm telling me that they will not be able to i specifically asked this of the ocm they had a thing called cannabis conversations earlier this year now that's not Tremaine right that's not the ccb that's not a final regulation i absolutely respect the ocm and if someone at the ocm wrote me this I have to take them at face value. I assure you, me and my many, many, many thousands of followers on LinkedIn, the moment the regulation comes out and says they're not allowed to have inventory, they are going to get thousands and thousands of emails saying I'm this is not viable. It's not viable. And number two, there are, we didn't even finish all the licenses, but we'll get back to oh, those okay, in a minute. Sorry. It's fine. It's great. Yeah, I, love, okay. I love the back and forth <laughs> of discussion. There are three licenses in the law that says these licenses are to be specifically promoted to social and economic equity applicants. Yes. They are the nursery license, the micro business license, and the delivery, delivery license. Yes, yes. So do we want to start handing out a bunch of licenses to our social and economic equity applicants that are just not even viable as businesses? No. It seems like a terrible way to go about it, if you ask me. So it seems like so I think we need to give them a lot of feedback about that. And I think the CCB really needs to think long and hard 
about whether or not they're going to allow the delivery guys to have their own inventory. It, it, it shouldn't be so incomprehensible when you lay out the facts, how they cannot understand that. I, I don't understand how it, it, it's, that's the well, law. So let me be fair. MURDA itself, MURDA, the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, right? It does not say what the OCM mailed me. That decision that this person emailed me can only have come from internal discussions within the organization about what they are going to do. If you look at the delivery section in the law itself, it is actually, when you look at all the licenses, it is the one that has the least amount of verbiage mm. about the license. In fact, about the only thing we know about the delivery license right now is that most you can have 25 full-time equivalents delivering in a, on a weekly basis, you know, 25. So for, for my purview, that means 1,000 hours of delivery per week, mm -hmm. right? 25 FTEs, 40 hours is full-time, it's 1,000 hours. Mm -hmm. Divvy it up how you want. Monday night, you do a few hours, then you do Friday and Saturday night. Mm -hmm. You can imagine yeah, how yeah. this is gonna work. Yeah. <laughs> so we know that, and we know that you can only get one delivery license. Okay, and that's it. We don't okay. know any of these other things. Mm. My hope, your hope, and boy, the hope of all of my delivery license uh, future applicants is that they do get to have their own inventory. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's disappointing to hear. Um, okay. Well, it's not. It's not fait accompli, right? Right. We can change that. Right. Okay. We, we, the, the regs have not even been put out yet. So let's see what's in the regs, and okay. when we see what's in the regs, we. We start dropping bombs on them and saying this is not a viable license if you go this way. Right. It's not. Okay. Good. Um, so, um, how many licenses can one person or entity have in New York? Sure. So this gets a little bit back to what we were discussing before, as far as the upstream and the downstream. Mm -hmm. If you're upstream, cultivator, processor, distributor, you can get one of any of those and then one for your own product of any one downstream from you. So the cultivator could get processor distributor, processor could get distributor, mm. okay? Other than that, you really can't get more, right? right? So if you get a retail dispensary, you can have three locations. It oh. does look like each of those three will be a separate license. So, you know, uh, 515 8th Avenue will be a license. Uh, uh, 19, 125th Street will be a separate license, and then wherever you want your third one, you get a license for that. Oh. Same thing with the on-site consumption lounges, so you can get three of those. Mm. You cannot mix and match, at least it doesn't look like now. Maybe the CCB mm. changes that under regulation, but it's basically if you want to be in the dispensary business, you got three dispensaries if you want them. If you want to be in the on-site consumption lounge business, Free on-site consumption lounges. If because you want. anyone who's getting a dispensary license also wants the consumption lounge to, right? So it might not happen. It's probably not going to. My happen. bet is not. My bet is yeah. that is not something that okay. the CCB does. CCB undoes, okay. so to speak. And uh, I, I think it's going to be you get three dispensary or three on-site, and that's it. Okay. Uh, as you can tell, that's going to be very different from every other state. So MSOs will certainly come in and play here. But under your corporate umbrella, you're going to get three retail locations. You better decide where you want to be. Mm. Do you want to be in New York City? Do you want to be, you know, if you put three of them in New York City, you don't get any of upstate. Mm. Right, right. Right? So do you want your brand not to appear in Buffalo or Syracuse or mm. Albany at all? Right. I wonder what, the stra I wonder what their strategy is going to be. That's interesting. Wow. Okay. That's good. That'll be interesting to watch. I want to see how they make that move. Um, so uh, what qualifies an individual as a social and economic equity applicant in New York? 
is the question. Okay, we can go right into that. Okay. So New York has... It's like rapid fire, I love it. What I would argue is the most progressive social and economic equity program of any state that we've seen go so far, right? So several things along the lines. Uh, the enabling legislation, MURDA, which we mentioned before, obviously has a list of the criteria that the CCB is to use to judge applicants when they decide whether or not they're going to get their uh, license. Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, when you create legislation, you put the more important things at the top of the list and the less important things towards the bottom of the list. They're all important, mm -hmm. but there's a reason a thing is listed number one. Right. The number one criterion, and that's the singular, I learned that the other day. Okay. So criteria. <laughs> so the number one criterion oh. in New York uh, for uh, cannabis licensing is is the applicant a social and economic equity applicant? Number one. So out of the box. Oh, when they're looking at it. That's it. If, in fact, it's arguable that the social and economic equity applicants' applications are all going to be put in a special box, and those are the ones that are going to get looked at first. Mm -hmm. And everybody else is going to be in another box, and yep, we'll get to you. Don't worry about it. But we, we have a mandate for equity in this state, and this is the box we're looking at first. Mm -hmm. Okay? It says in the law, so New York is not a cap state. So... Uh, oh. Illinois has a license cap, which creates unbelievable artificial scarcity as far as the licenses. New York is not a cap state. It says very specifically in the law that it's completely within the CCB's purview to have a cap or not have a cap. And what is going to determine whether they decide to have a cap or not have a cap is how the social and economic equity program in the state is going. That is the defining criteria as to how the CCB decides how many licenses we're gonna have. Oh, so you mean, okay, so if, if they don't get enough social equity applicants that are qualifiable, then they're gonna keep it keep it going until they get that Absolutely. quota of- Ab Absolutely, and the number is 50%. The well, goal is 50% of the licenses are to be given to social and economic equity applicants. Oh, so so we have no cap. So they'll keep going with the people who are non-social equity, keep it going, the licenses will keep going until the other side can catch up. So I think my take of it is, I've seen Tremaine Wright, who is the chair of the CCB, speak about this many times. And her exact language is, we, is we are not thinking in the terms of caps here in New York. I, I kind of like this. I mean, I, I, it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a very good way to approach it. Yes. She is thinking in terms of how do we meet the needs of the market? Yes. And how do we meet the needs of the social and economic equity program that they are mandated to have in the enabling legislation? So mm -hmm. social and economic equity applicants will have either reduced or waived fees for their licensing and the licensing process. Good. There will be low interest or no interest loans made available to social and economic equity licensees. Out of that $250 million. So that's a little bit different. That program, what is going to happen there is uh, DASNY, the dormitory, dormitory Authority of the State of New York, they built all the dorms in the state. My understanding is that they are the largest promulgator of municipal debt in the entire country. I don't know if that's true. I was just told that on a podcast at one point, but I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. They're responsible for all of the state's real estate infrastructure. Mm. So what they're going to do is they're going to either buy or lease real estate, upfit it, and then lease it to um, primarily, if not exclusively, and I think it'll probably be exclusively, social and economic equity applicants, 
You may have heard of this first, uh, we talked about this conditional retail dispensary license, the first one for justice-involved individuals. They are going to be required to have their dispensaries in these DASNY properties. Right, I have heard the turnkey. Uh, correct, turnkey, correct, uh, correct. Operations, so yeah. all of these things make up what I, again, think is the most progressive social and economic equity um, yeah. program in the state. Okay, but maybe you kind of answered it is I, I believe that um, one of the um, stipulations for the first applications going to those who have been convicted for just, cannabis. Justice involved. Justice involved yeah. uh, licenses is that they have to have been convicted and have business experience, yeah. which makes no sense to me. So, so it's worse than business experience. Oh, gosh. It's three years. It's two years. Okay. But it's not just business experience. You have to have been a 10% owner of a business that was profitable for two years. Who's profitable within two years, even if you... So it doesn't have to be your first year. I mean, you could have had... So let's say a guy has a bodega for 30 years. Oh, okay. So he's in. Oh, okay. My point is, is if you were convicted of a cannabis offense and then went and worked in a company and were a model employee, you went and worked for Starbucks and ran a Starbucks... Were an assistant manager at a Starbucks branch. I think you would be a great candidate for a, a consumption license or an on-site consumption or a retail dispensary license, right? Right, right. But you're a W-2 which means you don't have 1099 income, you didn't own Starbucks, so you've got no right. way to do that. So this was a huge mistake, I think, in this initial, this is what I was getting at, we're in the review period now. Oh, okay. I'm sure they got comments about this because I sent in comments about this and I guarantee you tons of other people did. Yeah, everyone's talking about and this. so <laughs> they gotta come up with some other ways of being, what they're looking for is, do you have the business that, we don't wanna give licenses to Just folks and the worst thing for the CCB and the OCDM would be we give out a bunch of licenses and half the businesses fail. Yes. Right? We don't right. want that. No. Because then we're going to get all the I told you so's and you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want that. Right. So they have to have some way to figure out, show us that you have business acumen. Mm -hmm. All right? Well, I ran a, the busiest Starbucks in Manhattan. I said, that's not good enough for you? I just, right. I don't understand. So it seems to me... There are many other ways that you could vet that. Yeah, that you can that just... You absolutely could get through that. Right, so right, okay. I, I hope they change that because it is absolutely a change that is needed. To be continued, wow. I love it. Jeffrey Hoffman, people. <laughs> Jeffrey Hoffman from 420jurist.com. Uh, and uh, check out his show on LinkedIn. Ask me anything about New York. And thank you, Jeffrey, so much. It was so nice to meet you. Okay. I forgot. Okay. All right, cool. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.